Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed, Episode 4. And uh, I think it's going to be one of those days. I've uh, just been staring at my laptop here, and instead of opening Audacity to record, I opened Skype. So I'm just sitting here staring at the screen, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> it is the day after Christmas here, and I'm kind of tired, but uh, I am just kind of lost. So I finally figured it out. Close Skype out, open Audacity up, and uh, I think we're ready to go. But uh, now, if you are listening to this in real time, uh, today is my birthday. So this is my gift to you. Hopefully it's a good one. So let's get into it here. This is Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey, number four. It's had a March 2018 cover date. Stories called Chapter Four, That a Great Princess Falls But Doth Not Die, which is... a uh, I don't know, a little precious, but let's uh, carry on. Uh, written by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Ramon Rosanas, or Rosanas. Colors, Rachel Rosenberg, letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Edits, Harrington, Robinson, Shan, Panicia, and Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale almost two years ago, January 24th, 2018. Almost three years ago, oh boy. Man, it does not feel like that long ago, does it? Now we open with uh, Jean lying in the fetal position amid the ruins of a wrecked building. Now, she wakes up and doesn't seem all that freaked out. Uh, She more or less takes it as though she just overslept a bit. You know, it's a regular day. She describes the scene as if it were her bedroom and not, you know, like a half-built post-apocalyptic bunker. Now she steps outside the door and suddenly she's back in Pleasantville and I think that's a movie reference for a movie I haven't seen, so I really can't say whether or not it's an accurate one. What I mean to say is, she's definitely back in the idyllic Elsewhere or Annandale on Hudson. She meets up with the postman, uh, Mr. Guthrie. This isn't Sam, but Josh. This is Icarus. Uh, They exchange pleasantries, but are interrupted by a weird, gurgling voice nearby. And this voice comes from Feral. She asks whether or not either of them saw that Gleason boy sniffing around her lawn. Now, Nick Gleason was Wolf Cub, a really, really bad character who probably only gets a mention because Brian K. Vaughn created him 20 years ago, and we gotta keep him around because of that. He was on the very unfortunate Young X-Men team, uh, back when Marvel was really, really trying to push that young dot 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 prefix on us. If you remember, probably what, 2000. Nine-ish, probably. Anyway, it's here where the gimmick of the elsewhere really starts to show. Okay, because in one panel, Feral is, she's sitting in a lawn chair, but she's very, she's very much dead. And she's also feral looking. 
you know, she has her very canine features, and she's speaking with a very gurgly word balloon. So it's kind of shaky. You could tell that there's something wrong with it. Then in the second panel, it's the same same exact image here, only she's alive, more human looking, and her speech balloon is normal. So you see that there's a little bit of a duality here, right? Now Jean starts walking to work. If you remember, her car is in the shop. Now as she walks, more of the gimmick of the elsewhere starts to come into view. We see that she's like in the middle of the panel, right? And she's walking from left to right. Like this is like a, a 2D video game of some sort. Everything behind her is in flames, right? Everything in front of her is idyllic and looks, you know, perfect and pristine and very uh, old-fashioned and just pretty. Now she passes by the former New Mutant Tag. Uh, he was part of the Marvel Tsunami New Mutants or Academy X era, I suppose. Now he rides past her on a bicycle going from right to left. And as he passes her, he bursts into flames, because he is entering that burning world that's behind Jean. Jean then turns around to chat with Tag, and suddenly, the world behind her is normal. So everything to the left of her, or, you know, stage left, is normal. Everything she can view looks like Annandale on Hudson. Everything in front of her, you know, she did turn her head, is now burning. So, everything in this area, every, anything in this construct elsewhere is in flames except for where gene is looking and you know we have seen instances during this series where the facade begins to crack like when uh when magneto is in the diner and gene looks out the window and it's just everything's in flames right it's never been made quite this clear uh, that you know exactly what we're looking at here but i feel like this is very very well done from here we go to credits, and then we come back, and we're in the New Mexico bubble, or we're outside the New Mexico bubble. The X-Men are gathered around the weird glowing construct that Magic had uncovered with the Soul Sword last issue, and it suddenly manifests an opening, like a door. Iceman suggests that this might mean that the Phoenix is kind of beckoning them inside, you know, they're, she's inviting them in. Kitty reminds everyone how dangerous the Phoenix is, again, right? Uh, Hellion uh, does not give a single F. He just wants to go inside and tear stuff up. Beast you know, tells him to settle down a little bit, to which Hellion is like, so what even is the plan then? Beast says they're just going to go inside and uh, say hello. Glob Herman, who's standing nearby, asks who might be crazy enough to head inside this bubble first, to which snicked old man Logan passes through. Inside... The entire place is in flames, right? The, this is a just a destroyed world inside this bubble here. And uh, while they lament the fact that Jean has been trapped here all this time, the X-Men find themselves attacked by a whole bunch of dead mutants. Now, here's a little bit more of the gimmick of the elsewhere. All the folks that we've seen are dead, or at least were dead back in, you know, late 2017, early 2018. This is something I did not immediately notice. Uh, I mean, this all went down during my hiatus, so I didn't know who was dead, who was alive, and uh, the meaning of anything here. Let's do a roll call for the dead folks, okay? We got Icarus again, Feral again, Petra or Sway, one of them, uh, Cyclops in his ugly post-AVX costume, Onyx, Wolf Cub again, Washout from that first awful Weapon X series, 
Rusty Friggin' Collins, Thunderbird, the first one, Wither, One of the Cuckoos, Vulcan, and Multiple Men. Now, the X-Men spend several pages fighting and uh, eviscerating their dead friends and family members. Uh, Old Man Logan seems to take particular joy in gutting several Madroxes in a row. He says uh, he's been looking forward to stabbing a Madrox ever since he showed up, and, uh, well, he gets more than his fill here. Suddenly, the X-Men can make something out on the horizon here. Amid all these flames, amid this, like, holocaust of just flame, fire, burning, smoke... They see the Elsewhere Diner, and it looks pristine, right? We actually see that it's called Annie's Diner. I don't know that we've seen a sign for this joint yet. Now, from it, they see Jean coming outside, and she's got, you know, she's taking out the garbage. Logan calls out to her, but Jean doesn't even know that they're there. All she sees is the idyllic Elsewhere, not the flaming battlefield that the X-Men are currently occupying. We follow Jean back inside where she chats up Annie for a bit. She notes that it's been a very, very slow morning. And slow as in they haven't had a single customer. They talk, and then more of the veneer seems to crack. Um, Jean mentions her car breaking down. Then Annie, as though she's a skipping record or a scratch CD, mentions Logan's Garage over and over again. Like, you should go to Logan's Garage. You should spend time at Logan's Garage. You should take your car... It's, Really well done, but I still feel like it's kind of a missed opportunity. Um, I think they should have played a little bit more with the art during this scene. Because it just looks normal. I mean, if you were looking at this page without paying attention to the word balloons, it would just look like a normal page. There's no creepiness to it. There's no uncanniness to it. I feel like if we had some, I don't know, like Max Hedrum-style glitching, right? Where it's just like a little you know? Uh, I think that would really amp up the mood for this scene. Jean then mentions that uh, she dreamed that she was chased by a goddess. But when the goddess caught up to her, it was her. And that was last issue's cliffhanger, if you remember. Now, Jean can't help but to think that this goddess is trying to prepare her for something. Annie says, wow, that sounds lovely. Now, back outside, Beast catches up and asks what he missed. Logan says, Jean took out the trash. To which, Beast tries to figure out the metaphor. Logan clarifies and just says, you know, Gene put garbage in a can, which uh, made me made me actually chuckle. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but I, I like that, that little scene there. Now, Beast thinks he's got this all figured out, and this kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a big sort of aha dump here. Um, now, this glowing mass that they're in, Beast has deduced that it's an egg. Okay, now the phoenix needs a new host, and so... The Phoenix resurrected Gene for that role, to merge. Uh, this process that we've been seeing inside this egg is something of an incubation process for Gene. So, Beast posits that the Phoenix created the Elsewhere and has filled it with bits and bobs to keep Gene occupied while you know she gets ready, while she cooks, while she incubates. So, I guess I was wrong about... Uh, about Jean being the one responsible for the elsewhere. I, I assume Jean did this to herself and uh, as a way of like protecting herself. And that it might have something to do with whatever the hell the White Hot Room is. I still don't know. Uh, Beast confirms that this is a good news, bad news situation. Okay? Now the good news is, Jean's alive. Duh, right? That's gotta be a good thing. 
The bad news is if the phoenix actually merges with Gene, well, then everybody dies and maybe the world ends, so bad days. From here, we jump back inside. Annie and Gene continue their chat. Annie asks if Jean feels prepared for whatever it is that this goddess wants her prepared for. Jean doesn't know. Back outside, the X-Men think a bit more about the weird manifestations they'd encountered over the past several issues. Beast has a conversation with himself. I, I mean, the young, uh, these young X-Men. The, the real Beast and the young Beast. They talk, okay? That's what I'm trying to get at. Now, they deduce that this phenomena that they'd faced were cries for help from Jean, like she knows that she needs help. If you remember back in the first issue, the X-Men faced off with, uh, you know, Seamus Mellencamp, a bunch of Hellfire goons, and young man Wolverine, young man Logan. Then Iceman's yellow team faced off against that weird Magneto who stopped fighting long enough to order a cup of coffee. So, I mean, these were dead characters, or dead characters at the time, anyway. Storm suggests that they get busy. They take care of Jean before the Phoenix takes care of them. And with that, a giant flaming bird lands atop Annie's diner. Rogue asks, what now? To which Old Man Logan says, well, now they kill a god. Kitty tries to get cooler heads to prevail and suggests that maybe they try and make contact with Jean first, right? Maybe they try to find their way through the, you know, the veneer here. Young Scott Summers volunteers to be the one to uh, approach Gene. Old Man Logan tells him that that is not a good idea. After all, Young Scott doesn't know this Gene, right? Young Scott wasn't even in love with this Gene. While Old Man Logan hasn't yet met a Gene that he didn't love, so it probably stands to reason he's the best choice. Now, Kitty backs Logan because of course she does. And so, we wrap up this issue with Old Man Logan walking toward Annie's diner. He tells Kitty that should this begin to go sideways, well, he knows what he'll have to do. That's where we leave it. This will be concluded next time on this very program and this very book. But, hey, let's talk about what we learned here, because we did learn quite a bit. And it's weird, uh, ever since I started covering this book... I was a little taken aback by the fact that this one didn't seem to quite land for many as it had for me. Our reaction online has been mostly folks telling me that they skipped this series because they didn't think it was important, or that they read it and just didn't think it was all that great. I've heard a lot of uh, mediocre or middling. <laughs> that seems to be the prevailing response that I've seen to uh, Phoenix Resurrection. And I didn't get that. And, I mean, if you've heard the last few episodes, you'll know that I was quite taken by this series. Uh, it was, to me, a very unexpected delight. It was everything I wanted it to be. You know, part mystery, part reunion, and, you know, a reunion inside the book as well as outside the book, because I was reuniting with a lot of these characters. And just a mix of odd and uncanny storytelling that really just pushed all the right buttons for me. With this issue, though... While I quite enjoyed it, it feel I feel like more than just the Phoenix's veneer is starting to crack. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. It's like, clearly this is a comic book, right? I know that this is a comic book. But it feels like it took until this issue, at least for me, for the comic book itself to realize it was a comic book. Does that make any sense? Yeah, probably not. 
up until this point, right? We were slowly building this mystery. Here, I feel like we're reminded that, you know, hey, this is just a comic book. And so maybe the answers we get don't necessarily need to live up to our expectations. And again, I'm sure there are better ways to explain this, but uh, I'm not nearly as erudite as I'd like to be, so I'm doing the best I can. I did like this issue, okay? I did very much enjoy this. I'm guessing as part of a collected edition, this would appear to flow a bit better. But as a single issue, the pacing is very weird. Um, I'm projecting here, but it's almost as though they thought that this was going to be a six-issue miniseries and didn't realize it was a fiver until they were like halfway through this issue. I mean, that's when we stopped fighting and we were just... I mean, exposition and revelations just started pouring down on us like anvils, right? Um, it just feels like a very, a very sudden shift. We go from building and fighting to, oh, here are all the answers. Everything you wanted to know, bada bing, bada boom, right here. And, hey, we, we do get revelations. So let's talk about those, right? This idyllic version of Annandale on Hudson was a construct of the Phoenix Force as a sort of distraction or incubator for Jean. That we that much we find out from Beast's theories. I'm trying to recall here uh, whether or not the real Annandale on Hudson was completely destroyed by the Shi'ar during that third Claremont run. I know they came after the Grey family, and I know they like they, they slaughtered like almost all of them. Though I can't recall if the town itself was destroyed. So for all I can remember, this might be just another dead thing, right? That that the Phoenix is using here. Putting Jean in here because it wants to merge with her as a host. And is incubating her, waiting for her to mature, I guess. Uh, just waiting for the right time, biding time. Now this elsewhere is a dead place. It's filled with then-dead X-Men and Associates. Like I said during the synopsis, I didn't put two and two together here. Uh, many of these characters died while I was away. And I mean, let's face it, dead, dead characters are brought back all the friggin' time, even before the resurrection protocols of Dawn of X were a thing. So it's hard to keep things straight. I mean, we're just two or three years removed from this book, and I couldn't tell you a single thing. It's, it's almost like there should be a, uh, like a comics dead or alive website or something, though... If there were, we'd have to update the thing twice a day. So maybe maybe it's better that we don't have something like that. Um, what else about this issue? We could talk about the art. Uh, very good-looking issue. Very good-looking issue. Um, and I love the way that they depicted like the duality of the elsewhere. In that uh, everything that Jean isn't currently looking at or focused on is burning. I think that's very, very neat. And for such a potentially abstract thing, it was very clearly depicted here. I really, really like this. It raised the uncanniness of the story to another level. That said, though, as mentioned during the synopsis, I feel like there were a few missed opportunities for, you know, glitches to manifest. Um, that Annie and Jean conversation, I really think that would have just been the perfect place to slip in, like I said, a weird, like, Max Hedrum stutter, you know? Just something to show how weird things were getting. Um, having Annie just repeat herself a couple times... Didn't quite land for me. 
By then, I mean, the jig was up for the reader, so you may as well go whole hog with the gimmick. Jean is only seeing what she wants to see anyway, so if we start seeing things that she doesn't see, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, And, like I said, it ups the creepiness. It ups the uncanniness of the book. And I think for a story that is uh, as pseudo-abstract as this, that would have only helped. Um, That said, though, perfectly fine issue. I'm still enjoying this series, and I'm still very much looking forward to seeing how it all shakes out. So, uh, that's that. (laughs) That is uh, Phoenix Resurrects Lapsed Episode 4 of 5. Next time we will uh, wrap this baby up and uh, get uh, get our gene back, I guess. So... Looking forward to that. I hope you are as well. If uh, anybody would like to reach out to me, you could do so. I'm at uh, Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You could talk to us on Facebook at 90sXmen. And you can listen to all the audio at ChrisAndReggie.Podbean.com. I think that's where we'll leave it for today. Just one more of these to go, and then I'll have to figure out an all-new Sunday special. So uh, I don't have the foggiest idea what it might be. If anybody has any suggestions, please <laughs> reach out and let me know. Uh, but uh, till then, uh, I want to thank you all for uh, sharing your time with me this morning, and uh, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh